0: Hello, and welcome to MikeyPod podcast episode 333 for August 3rd, 2021. Today's guest is author and publisher Martin Rowe. We'll be talking about his latest book, The Animals Are Leaving Us. It's a collaboration with photojournalist and past MikeyPod guest, Joanne MacArthur. As you'll hear, Martin is a brilliant poet... Uh, I mean that sincerely. I just read it off of my notes, but I actually really do think he's brilliant, and uh, he's also a great friend and running teammate. Uh, this is a conversation that I know you will love. This it's it's really good. <laughs> Get right brace yourself. I'm your host, Michael Herron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for 16 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe, sub, what? Subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron or you can email me MikeyPod at gmail.com and I would really, really love to hear from you. Uh, I'm going to be doubling up on, I'm going to try to double up on publishing podcasts for the next few weeks. I have quite a few interviews done. And I want to kind of start cranking them out. So um, get those little podcast directory apps (laughs) fired up and ready to go. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of these. Um, But yeah, I would really like to kind of pump these out because they're really great interviews I'm very excited about uh, and I can't wait for you to hear them. Uh, The dental thing I want to check in a couple weeks ago I I said I had a big dental appointment. Um, I survived obviously. Um, I'm doing so much dental work I've been catching up. Uh, I'm going to the NYU dental school which is more affordable. Um, I wouldn't call it affordable, but it's not as expensive as, you know, you save money going to students. Um, And I'm kind of almost into like the cosmetic land of like replacing teeth that had to be pulled like the one a couple weeks ago. Um, And, you know, there's just been a lot of stuff going on in my mouth over the years, um, which I'm also writing a zine about. uh, So if you want some of that background, (laughs) stay tuned. Um, Yeah. The other thing I want to check in about is that I have a brand new patron, Dennis. Thank you for subscribing on Patreon. Um, And for those of you who are wondering, patrons are people who help power this podcast. You could subscribe for $5 or more a month and you get special perks, like tons of free downloads of my music, like all my albums and and remixes and all that kind of stuff are available the minute you subscribe. Um, all my zines, each zine had a track with it as well. And there are like 70-something, I guess we're closing in on 80 bonus podcasts, uh, which you'll have immediate access to when you subscribe, including this week's bonus episode, which features an extended conversation with today's guest, Martin Rowe. We'll be talking uh, about some cool stuff. I'm just going to let you... <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Really, that's all that I have for my check-ins for you guys today. Let's get on to the interview with Martin Rowe. He's the president and publisher at Lantern Publishing and Media. He is the co-vice president of the board of the Culture and Animals Foundation, which incidentally gave me a grant. The first grant I got to help put the animal show together continue to be grateful for that. Uh, Martin is a senior fellow of Brighter Green. He's the author of Elephants in the Room, The Polar Bear in the Zoo, and a bunch of other stuff, including the book we're gonna be talking about today, The Animals Are Leaving Us. Let's get right on to it. Here's Martin. Joining me now on the podcast is Martin Rowe, who is a um, poet and a publisher and my friend and running teammate, lots of different things. Hello, Martin. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So we're talking today mainly about um, your new book, The Animals Are Leaving Us. Of course, we'll get into some of these other things because we intersect in a lot of different places and I'm sure some of these other things will come up, but this is a brand new book. like It hasn't been officially released yet, has it? It's coming out this week,
1: uh, this week being the week of June the 28th. Uh, it's coming off the press probably uh, today or tomorrow.
0: Can you give the rundown of what, what this book is?
1: So this book uh, is a set of verses uh, that I composed in response to a photograph that was sent to me by the Canadian photojournalist, Joanne MacArthur, whose two books, Captive and We Animals, uh, I published at my publishing company, which is Lantern Publishing and Media, and whose book, Hidden, in which this photo also appears, we distribute, and I have an essay in. So I've known Joanne's work for probably 13, 14 years, and she has always been not just an extraordinary photojournalist taking images of animals in the human environment all over the world, but I think she's an extraordinary artist. I think she has ability to compose a photograph, whether in color or in black and white, that not only is a very important document of what is happening, but not only has an advocative journalistic storytelling capability, but also I think really reveals the condition in which we animals, the human animal, responds to the other animals uh, who surround us and whom we pay some attention to or we uh, ignore or we mistreat. And this photograph, which is a photograph of a man clubbing a pig in a slaughterhouse, which happens to be in Thailand, surrounded by three other men, just struck me as an extraordinary example of all of her strengths. And as has been the case with many people who have seen her photos, you feel compelled to talk about it, feel compelled to write about it. I'm by no means the first person to write verse or poetry about her work. Uh, she has uh, a couple of other authors who are writing about her work because it feels as though there's a lot to unpack in her photographs and this was no exception this was the second time i'd written about one of her photographs i I published and wrote a book uh, a monograph on a photograph of a polar bear in the toronto zoo uh, that was in black and white and i wrote you know, 40,000 words about it. So there's always a lot to say Mm. about her. So I, this is my collection of verses, uh, 35 of them in response to not just this photograph, but also several other photographs that she has that for me really express what I think is the fundamental challenge, which is how we relate to the other than human
0: animals and treat them kindly. The thing that I love about the fact that you two are working together is, um, it, it feels like you unpack parts of each other. Um, and, and just that I've heard, like I, I attended a Zoom reading about the book um, a few days ago. And there's something, you know, I, I'm i a person that, especially photographs like this, that I don't want to see. You know, like I do want to see them and I want them to exist, um, but they're difficult to see. So I don't look as closely as you have done in, in this series of verses. Um, and I think it's really interesting to hear the two of you speak about each other (laughs) because you, you helped me to sort of become a better observer and a better artist. Um, is that something that, that you set out to do with doing this type of thing, or is it more of just a natural feeling of the next progression in your own work?
1: Well, I think when Joanne sees something horrible and something that needs to change, her natural instinct is to take a photograph of mm. it. When I see something horrible and want to change it, my natural instinct is to write about it. And I think both of us probably use our art to figure out what it is we feel about the subject that we see in front of us, as well as the uh, the passion and the anger and the sorrow that we feel within us. So artists have different media in which they express themselves and creative people want to express themselves in different ways. And so our, uh, you know, me, uh, Joanne's medium is photography, my medium is words. So they're complementary to that extent. And I think I tend to write my way into thi- figuring out how I feel about something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: particularly. And uh, I saw this photograph and like all good art it uh, i was drawn in by its beauty horrified by the fact that i thought it was beautiful and then wanted to explore why i thought it was beautiful uh, the words the, the idea that comes to my mind is when i'm thinking about uh, art and its role in what you might call propaganda or advocacy. And I think of Goya's painting, uh, etchings and drawings and, and paintings of the Spanish war of the early 19th century. Horrific pictures of people being shot by firing squads and dying. But they are artists. They are art because they come from Goya. And then I think, what is the difference between Robert Capa's photograph of the soldier being shot in the Spanish Civil War and Picasso's Guernica about the bombing of the town of Guernica Mm. in the Spanish Civil War. There's something very different about them, and is a journalist and a photographer, Picasso is an artist, and yet they both express something very fundamental about the horror of war, the individual death, the slaughter of the town, uh, the fact that the horses are dying as well in Guernica. So uh, all in all, I think it's a very complementary way of thinking about violence and cruelty to use art and photography and words in order to figure it out what it is that we are confronting.
0: One of the things that, that struck me was in your introduction, and you're talking about the COVID outbreak and the way that a lot of of uh factory farms had to call quote unquote their babies the the baby animals because they wouldn't be able to process them um the end of this that of that little bit you say um uh, our utter failure as human beings to imagine our way out of destroying all life on this planet um <laughs> which like i get you know that feeling of like well, well that's this is how i interpreted this feeling of oh like <laughs> We're not. This is just what's going to happen, but at the same time, there's the by the by the fact that you've published this book and all the different books that you've published for other artists and continue to address uh, what's happening to animals um, indicates that there must be some level of hope too. Um, How does I ask this from a a sort of um, selfish place too? Because I think it's something I grapple with. Of you know how do you be honest and aware of what's happening and also be hopeful that it could change.
1: Yeah, no, it's a very good question. And, and I've obviously, I've seen your show and you talk very movingly about being one at a, at a save event. Uh, mm-hmm. These are, these are events that take place where people provide some measure of comfort to animals who are about to be slaughtered as they roll up in the trucks that take them into the slaughterhouse. But I think the fundamental thing that you're doing at that moment and that Joanne is doing and that I hope I do partly with my response to her photography is to bear witness. Mm -hmm. So at the fundamental level, we are saying we can see this. We are here in the last moments and we are at least recording this life and this death at this point. And I think that is a valuable action, whether it comes out of hope or despair, whether there is any possibility of turning back the truck and stopping the conveyor belt, uh, which there isn't in, this, in these particular cases. So bearing witness is important. One of Joanne's major points that she says is that at least she can perhaps get people to stop and not turn away. So beyond the bearing witness, there is the simple act of seeing and hearing and reading and saying, I'm, I'm going to remain in this space. So that's another important gesture, which is a little goes beyond bearing witness to forcing yourself to stay there. Mm. And it's an I don't think we human beings can live without hope. <laughs> we mm-hmm. always think of a future I have read many activists' work and talked to them who are in much more extreme circumstances than I am and who say that hope is a verb in action. I mean, it's about doing something. Uh, It is moving towards the violence to stop it. It is doing what you can the old Lauren Isley story of throwing the starfish back into the water when there are hundreds of thousands of starfish. It's doing one thing for one, that particular person. But it's also, we don't really have the luxury of not hoping, Uh, luxury, uh, despair is itself a luxury. We have to keep on going because we have no choice except to keep on going. Uh, So, Um, I think that's how I look at it, more as an existential act of willing oneself to confront, to bear witness, and to keep on moving as much as we can towards our vision of the future. Where I think that piece that you mentioned at the end of the introduction is salient is that The failure of imagination is not on the side of the activists. The failure of imagination is on the side of the systems that believe that this is the only way we go about doing things. And both of those things are human constructs. So there is nothing natural about the food system that we have. There is nothing natural about the way we treat animals. It's not foreordained that we're going to be abusive. And once you realize that all of the things that lead up to this particular instance of the man clubbing the pig over the head are willed acts of decision making, whether based individually or in policy, then everything can be changed.
0: Mm. There is
1: nothing immutable or irreversible. It can all be changed. And I think that is where there is a possibility for hope.
0: There's something that clicked the light bulb on for me about some of this stuff. And and uh and I think partly because I've been in like I think partly corona induced, partly like um community vegan kind of struggles with individuals induced that I've kind of pulled back from my activism and my um uh, movement forward and it makes me realize that 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 idea you know those are the times when I become hopeless, when I'm not trying to move forward, trying to move something forward, even for that one starfish and that is such like <laughs> I think of it as such a corny symbol, but also I lean on it so much, you know, this idea that, you know, as you said, but like the choosing to be hopeless is, is like a self-centered act as I think about it this way, you know, like I think I, this applies to a lot of places in my life and maybe yours or listeners too, of like going sort of to this hopeless withdrawn place uh, is kind of a choice in a lot of ways and sometimes we can't make the choice not to do that um yeah i don't even know where i'm going with it does it make sense what what i'm like headed toward with this
1: it it is but the corollary of that and i think it's important for us to understand that is that we need a place to mourn Mm -hmm. we need a we need a place to acknowledge the darkness and the difficulty we need to, to be honest with ourselves Uh, I think there is a tendency in activism generally, and animal activism is no different from this, to assume that trauma and quietness and withdrawal are somehow things to be avoided or a sign of weakness, uh, that unless you are out there fighting the good fight every day, unless you are bucking yourself up or pulling yourself together or, you know, unless you are saying, I'm not in my feelings aren't important. The animals matter more than anybody else or whoever it is matters more Mm -hmm. than else. You're not being true to the experience of being human. And we should be shocked. We should want to regain our strength by giving ourselves things that make us happy and giving ourselves a vacation and allowing ourselves to replenish ourselves. So, And what this book is, which is a chance to howl and wail and mourn and go the other extreme, you know. uh, I think we need to be able to do that as well. So in your case, this podcast is your activism. And as far as I'm concerned and as far as I think we should be concerned, it is as valid as any other form of activism. Mm. And uh, I don't think there is one right way to be an activist. If there was, I would have published one book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <And then> like, <laughs> instead of about 150 titles on this subject
0: <laughs> so uh. Uh, yeah it's really interesting to think through these things because as you pointed out we are human beings and also trying to work out that experience of just being a human being and all the varying experiences that we have and how like oh here's something else new at 52 years old <laughs> How do I how do I navigate this one Um, so, and that's, it's interesting the way your work kind of folds into that and your experience of, of these photographs. And, and you talk a lot about what, what I relate to, um, this idea of being, being vegan in a world of where that isn't the status quo. Um, there were some, some points that you make about, um, where you sort of talk about the different reasons people give for, uh, why they continue to use animals like for clothing and food and entertainment and all these things. I'm curious, do you think of, of non-vegans as an audience for this book as well?
1: Uh, I was once given some very wise advice, uh, rather accidentally, by the feminist writer Carol Adams. Uh, I was standing behind a booth uh, selling my books many years ago at a, ch- a student uh, conference on animal rights and a young person came up to me and asked me about writing a book and i went into full publisher mode which is you know why do you want to write this book and who are you to write this book and what are your qualifications to write this book and carol was sitting right next to me or standing ne- next to the table and she turned to this uh, young uh, individual and said don't listen to anything he says he's talking as a publisher you need to think as a writer hmm And that was very, very insightful because if you are sitting there thinking about any work as to whether it will reach an audience of whatever kind, I don't think that is the full and authentic expression of what it is you want to say. You need to say what it is you want to say in Hmm. the best way that you want to say it. In a way that communicates most authentically what it is in the medium that you feel is truest to yourself. Whether it reaches an audience or not is not your particular concern at the moment of composition. There are moments later on when you're editing it, when you are seeking for clarity, or you may be seeking to shape the genre more particularly towards a particular kind of receptivity within the audience. But, I mean, you're a creative, you're a musician, you're a performer. You, I'm sure, need to speak and compose and do your thing in the way that you feel is true. If if the audience respond to it, great. But it's not your fault if they don't respond to it in the way that you would like or not.
0: There are so many moments that I can think of in conversations with you just throughout, you know, our history of knowing each other that kind of like... I was going to say, turn me on. I don't mean in that way. I mean like turn on my creativity and it's that like, <laughs> but I don't want to insult you by saying I wasn't turned on in any other way.
1: I'm shocked <laughs> that you weren't.
0: <laughs> but you know, there's that, you know, that's something else that I struggle with as an artist. And it's that precise thing of trying to create something for somebody else instead of, you know, the moments that I've been able to create things, are partly because I've set myself a deadline and put it off so long that I can't think about anything, but just creating the thing. But those are the moments that I can do it. You know, when I start thinking about um, audience and who's going to like this and what is this violinist going to think about this overly simplest simplistic part I just wrote for them, you know, like I can get really stuck in not creating things and, um, that is a really important thing to remember, that the creation is not the time to think about an audience. That's that's some gold right there <laughs> that's really valuable for me.
1: Well, it was very important for me to hear as a writer because, of course, as a publisher, the tendency is to look at your work and immediately move on to the editing phase. Mm. I mean, though, and Carol made it very clear. She said there will come a time when you take that draft or whatever draft it is, and exercise critical faculty, your critical faculties on it. And that is appropriate and necessary, etc. But you're not at that stage, she said to this young person, you you don't have to censor yourself at the moment or channel what you're doing into something that is quote unquote publishable. And I think that's very important for any writer to to hear, or any artist to hear that that is the case. I mean, in some ways, that explains the reason why I chose the particular form of verse that I wrote. It's verse and not poetry, and that it is deliberately rhythmic and rhymed. It forms a particular uh, rhyme pattern called Ottava Rima, eight lines of iambic pentameter with an A, B, A, B, A, B, C, C rhyme pattern. And that is the rhyme pattern that is used in a lot of mock heroic satirical epics. Um, most particularly Don Juan by Lord Byron. And that allows for both a very high-flown rhetorical uh, style, but also a kind of down-and-dirty, populist, demotic style. And so that fitted my feelings about this uh, image, which was both how horrible it was, how beautiful it was, and also how absurd, how ridiculous, and how wantonly cruel it was as well as some of the other photographs that joanne has taken so again i didn't aim to specifically address the photograph in this style but this was the style that came to me as a means of trying to encapsulate um my feelings for it
0: is there you know but having rules around what you're writing um in terms of writing in this in this uh verse form are those type of r- restrictions, I don't know, if I'm, I'm suddenly like, I don't know if this is how you look at it, but are having these sort of guidelines or guardrails helpful to you as, a, as an artist to get things out?
1: Yeah, I'm, I do like frames. I, I find them uh, valuable as a means of shaping what it is I want to say. Uh, I can expand those frames later on uh, if I feel that they are not serving the need but I do like to have a sense of what it is that I uh, whether it's fiction or whether it's short or long fiction or whether it's non-fiction whether it's the essay form or whether it's an op-ed uh, it feels to me that it's valuable for me to place some kind of framework upon which within which i can then operate and you know it's true with the with the frame of the photograph right it's true with the canvas mm-hmm. it's true with the the instrument you sit down at uh, that serves as a constraint um that provides you with i think uh, a, a framework to begin to compose and construct what it is you want to say
0: or depict our conversation is giving me so many like I wish I had a notepad. I should do this next time. Um, of like ideas, you know, I, I've been a little bit, um, stagnant over the last year or so. And in this moment of like, what do I do? I had like, um, I had a big idea that Corona sort of put on the back burner for potentially forever, but maybe not. Um, but this is reminding me like, oh yes, there's creativity available at all times. And, um, and these ideas of, uh, guardrails is how i'm thinking of them now are helping me to move forward we should wrap up this part of our conversation but i don't want to do that without um making sure everyone knows how they can get a copy of this book or all of these other there's so many things we didn't talk about we didn't talk about culture and animals we didn't talk about but i'll put links to all of your things in the show notes but where's the best place to get the book and to find the most vital information about you
1: Well, to find, to order the book, the very, the simplest thing is to go to our website, lanternpm, which stands for publishing and media.org, lanternpm.org. And you'll see the homepage and you can see a cover of the book, The Animals Are Leaving Us uh, on the homepage, but you can find all our other titles there. And once you click on individual pages, you'll see ways to buy the book, uh, whether through Barnes & Noble or Amazon, but also through independent bookstores or directly from our warehouse. You can do that as well. Uh, I'm also, as uh, you, Michael, were saying, the uh, treasurer of the Culture and Animals Foundation, which was very pleased to give you a grant uh, back in the day. And we we are an organization that gives grants to scholars and to artists working at the interface of human animal studies and also adv- advocacy on behalf of non-human animals. And you can find all our grantees and what we do at Culture And, animals, A-N-D, and, animals.org. and so, uh, yeah, we've, we've got a, a wonderful grantees for 2021 um, and prize winners. So we're very excited about all of that. And we've got many more books coming out. at lantern p.m.
0: I'm so happy I got the chance to talk to you Uh, people who are listening if you didn't get enough of this conversation there will be a bonus conversation on Patreon uh, in a couple of days after the publishing of this podcast that Martin has kindly agreed to do so um, you can listen to that Martin Rowe thank you so much for joining me today
1: thank you it was a lot of fun
0: And so we come to the end of another Mikey Fodd Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Martin Rowe, for being my guest today. If you're a patron, be sure to check out Patreon in a couple of days so you could hear the bonus interview with Martin um, and the 70-ish more i don't even know uh bonus podcasts that are there for you to listen to and um thanks i'll check you next time i can't wait to share another interview with you stay tuned subscribe tell a friend um and let me know if you like this show talk to you soon thanks for listening